Heaven high. Heaven high, and welcome to Rum Doings, episode one hundred and eighty-one. Can you believe that we got through episode one hundred and eighty without shouting one hundred and eighty? One hundred and eighty means we're halfway there. It's true until we get right back to the beginning again. Oh, I'm not sure I like the fact that one of my recording devices is currently pausing every two seconds. <laughs> I told to, to, the listener, I said to him, he's trying to record on two different devices because even though it's obviously the internal mic that causes the clickiness, he's decided it's a software problem. It is. So he's trying to get two pieces of software to run off the same hardware at the same time because that will help. <laughs> yes. That's, Maybe that's I should have the been. answer. You know what I should have done? I should have used three. You know what you shouldn't be doing is running what? a giant tech company. <laughs> no, I shouldn't. That's what you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> so, so tell me, what's the topic today, Jonathan? The, top, uh, the topic today is, is it really fair to have all the excitement of the Oscars during London Fashion Week? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, it's all... I, I, sorry, I am going to actually stop one of the recordings because oh it, I'm worried. Oh man. Oh man. I press stop and the whole thing's frozen. <laughs> Do you think this podcast is going to come out? Do you think I, I think it's going to be a classic. Is the other one still recording as as well it might? Yes, it seems to be. But Which one broke? Garage Band or Audacity? Garage Band broke. Of course it did. Of course Garage Band broke. You can't trust it. You can only trust good old Audacity. Hold on. I'm going to make some white noise now and I just want to see whether, <laughs> I just want to see whether it clicks. Okay. I'm going to, I'm, it's going to be weird, but the only time I can see the clicks on the waveform is if I'm making a noise. Uh-huh. That looks all right. <laughs> Sorry, am I boring you? No, you soothed me to sleep with your white noise. <laughs> oh, good. Um, so uh, you were deciding whether Jack Straw needed to go to prison or not. I am... Um... I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Jack Straw. I feel a bit upset about this. Mm. He wasn't the most evil politician. No, he wasn't. And he had a certain grey manner about him that one never felt uh, ill-disposed towards. And now it turns out that he's a big old cheaty pop. But then again, they're all like that. It seems that the people who said the banal things, <laughs> they're all like that, they're all in it. They were right. They are all. They're all in it. Poor old Jack Straw. Mm. What a silly sausage. Yeah, and what about Malcolm Rifkind? Well, that doesn't surprise me. He's Malcolm Rifkind. Yeah, oh well, never mind, eh? So what do you think of that uh, weird lion guy? What's his name again? Peter Molyneux. (laughs) And moving on. I think he's a lovely man. I know, you've always been a big fan. Do you know what you always used to say? Yes. Do you know, you've always used to say, you always used to say that black and white was going to be the best game of all time. And you stood by that to this very day. I am a little bit pleased that I spotted its deficiencies because everybody was buying into his hype to a degree with that. And I knew the problems immediately. I, I, I'm very proud of that. I have a plaque up on my wall, which, <laughs> I know you commemorates, which commemorates my grand truth understanding. <laughs> Good work. Anyway, so, um, no, I, it, I, look, obviously you're not going to discuss it because it's sub say now the court case is on. But, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, nevertheless, I mean, you know, when it comes down to it, it's, it's like these people have never seen an interview before. I know, it is. It, I think it, a lot of it was an Amer- a US-UK divide yeah. where there's just no equivalent in the US to the Paxmans and the Humphreys. No. And I'm not comparing myself to them. I didn't do, I didn't do anything nearly as mature as what they do or did. 
But uh, oh no, be fair, conf- be confrontational fair. style. Be fair, Paxman could be very immature when he wanted to be. Oh yeah, absolutely. But he almost um, he is more on purpose. Yeah. No, but I mean I, that that was very interesting, and I noticed those people who said "Hooray, great! This is the best bit of journalism ever" tended to be British, and those who were going "This is an utter disgrace. You, John's bosses need to fire him." tended to be American. My and, bosses have been livid. Yeah. Well, and and the thing about the Americans is, it's what's interesting about it is there's this notion of respect. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really interesting because if you think about the cliched notion of America, very straight-talking, gun-toting, um, n- none of the the uh, superficial, uh, abstracted niceties that usually are related to British culture, you'd think it should be the other way around. But of course, actually, uh, American media culture is full of these weird little ritualistic uh, niceties, isn't it? I mean, if you look at what's considered a hard-hitting interview there... Um, it's that somebody's bared to skid a little bit close to a, a numb truth and then skids away from it very quickly. The other issue is in America, the only time it really occurs is <clears throat> on Fox News. And mm. of course, they do it with such a vile agenda. And they, mm. sh- they shout in order not to hear rather than to try to get the person to answer the question being asked. But that's why I'm always very, very careful when people attack uh, style or rhetoric rather than substance, even when it comes to things like Gamergate and things like that. I say you must be very careful because there are a lot of people who are ludicrously trying to say, oh, John, now you're just like Gamergate. Well, no, <laughs> no, no. He says, oh, you see, you're, caught, you're, you're harassing somebody online. Yeah, you see right. how dangerous and slippery these notions can become. And you, I think we need to be very careful with them. It's also important to note the entertainment I had in watching Gamergate tie itself into knots in order to be angry with it. Yes, uh, it, it was it was amusing because of course this this should be uh, their wank fantasy. Frankly, what it went did. from it went from um, this is proof that everything we've been arguing for and it should be argued for because yeah. this is the way you know journalists don't don't look treat developers properly, which mm. is. I don't remember having sex with him. And then mm. to the other extreme, which is, well, yeah, you only do that with Peter Molly, but you wouldn't do that do this if it were a woman, would you? Mm-hmm. It was like, what? well, how about that? You know, how about that time when I interviewed the lady from Ubisoft and I backed her into a corner until she admitted that she was lying, and people got yeah. cross because that interview was too aggressive as well. Yeah, I think she, I think that lady was a lady. The funniest thing about these, about the responses, actually, the one that really amused me the most and was the most deluded was. Um, careful john or else nobody from the games industry will ever speak to you again well um <laughs> no if you're getting over two million page view page views or whatever uh, I, hope, I hope slightly more than two million page views in case any of our advertisers are listening if you're getting more than two, 20 page views a month which is, you're getting nearly 20 now aren't you then it's coming up for 20 page views a month at this point and they're not just me <laughs> no sometimes toby's learned how to click the refresh button as well mm-hmm. um then, then it, it really would be cutting up their nose to spite their face. Now, as as it doesn't mean need to be said, but of course, nobody. It's not like you ended that interview hating Molyneux, or he ended up hating you. It was it, it was quite clearly a, a kind of a an aggressive dance. But even it's by interesting. The end of it, it's interesting what's missed. What we didn't print at the end mm. was Molyneux yet again inviting me to the studio and my saying, "Well, sure, maybe sometime after GDC." And then I'm talking about the fact that I grew up in Guildford, and he asked where. And we were just, <laughs> it was a bizarrely amiable chat at the end. It's not bizarrely. It's what I would have predicted because there's like this fencing match you do 
and then you you go on to showing that you you're both humans despite the fact that you've had a fencing match and and it's part of the uh, i guess it, i mean if you look at the Americans are also utterly astonished when they look at um any scenes from in the British Parliament because it's adversarial um, well and, I also, and they're, they're shocked by it it's it's interesting how uh, how pathetic it is as well though british <clears throat> parliament but yes no you're absolutely right the, the contrast is extraordinary the fact that the rudest it gets in american parliament is filibustering yes um, where people are reading cookbooks and things indeed which but I, then at the same time you watch prime minister's questions and it's it's genuinely embarrassing to think that this is how our democracy is run rah, rah, rah. you say Ooh. embarrassing but you made a poo in your pants john Oh, well, yeah, yeah, if you yeah. believe that I made a poo in my pants, maybe you should look at the poo in the your pants, own pants of your arm, your, the pant poo of <gasps> your... And <laughs> <laughs> what about the amount of panty poo in the last administration, which we had to clear up? Hmm? Yes, but you're only saying that because you don't even like poo in your pants. My name's Nick Clegg and I wish that we could just go above the fray of all this infantile pant pooey thing. Anyway, you smell. It's good. That's that's democracy right there. Yeah. So you, there was a chance apparently that Clegg could lose his seat. We can only hope. Oh, that would be pretty special, wouldn't it? Mm. Do you know, I now live in the district of... My MP is no longer Don Foster. We've discussed... Have we just properly discussed that he's no longer my MP? No, we haven't. Don because Foster's... people knew that. Well, for those for those new listener, yes. uh, Don Foster used to be a hero of John's. Indeed, on this podcast, if you go back, <laughs> if you go back, I was. Long... I was. I used to model uh, statues of him out of clay. No, no. If you go back, far no. I told. I celebrated. You him. actually I celebrated used the word him. hero. You no, used I didn't. the word hero. Uh, uh, right. I'm. Fa- I'm rewinding through all the podcast. He... Okay. I didn't say he is my hero. No, I no. You said he's. He, you said. You said something like he. Oh, he's actually a bit of a hero. Yeah, maybe um, he yeah. was. And if you looked at his voting record and you looked at the things he was saying, then that was a fair assessment. It turns out that all it took was um, a powdery piddle of power for all that to go far, far away. And now he is the most vile. He's voted against the government once, and it was on the number of hours they're in Parliament for a week or something. <laughs> yes, that was it. That's literally <laughs> the only time he's voted against everything the Conservatives have done in the last five years. Because it turned out that he has a possible innocent penis face. Also, also, I find that very uh, 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 androphobic. Also, I, what's very interesting about him is he. It, it isn't that he suddenly just became banally pro-government, um, no. but he utterly reverted his very passionate stances. And we've, we've talked about tuition fees and that before, but yeah, specifically, yeah, the one thing where I remember him specifically is that he was very much for online rights, for rights of privacy and that kind of thing, for uh, rights... Uh, yes, for, he was for, very for, strong on that. Uh, and, and, and overreaching IP legislation he was opposed to. He flipped and then he became the big cheerleader for those very things. He's, and that, he's was, just... that was the real telling thing. Just a dreadful man, and yeah. uh, but now no longer by him because I've moved out of the district. You 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 he, he, you, you had to flee because of him. <laughs> Did I? I left Bath. I was like, no, I shall never return. No, I'm moving twenty minutes away. Uh, you can't get me here. I'm past the state the state lines. <laughs> and now my MP okay. is Mister Jacob Rees Mogg. Oh, that sounds like a kitten, <laughs> Moggy. I, it's like I went. I've, I've got my MP has let me down so badly. The only thing I could possibly do is pick the worst human being on earth. Yes. Oh dear. Did you um? 
Did you uh, did you enjoy the Daily Telegraph's implosion? It's been I've been following it in private eye for for a few months, and it, it was interesting to read. Um, what's his name? Is it Charles Moore? No, that's someone else. That was your editor. What's his name? What's the name of the man who quit? Peter Obon. Peter Obon, who is. <laughs> An insufferable twerp of the highest he, order. Yes, he is awful, and he's also rather an anti-Semite. But I, is I'll, he? I'll, Interesting. Yes. Doesn't but surprise I'll, me. It, it was quite funny. And there, he was having a debate uh, between him and David Aronovich one oh, day. Oh gosh! And and uh, Aronovich was talking about how you needed to take appropriate action when people did X, Y, and Z. And he said, "Mr. Aronovich," oh, no. he said, uh, "We Christians don't believe in an eye for an eye." <laughs> <laughs> yes he's an amusing character but but nevertheless and this is why i i've i've learned the one thing i've been able to do as i've gotten older i haven't been able to uh wipe my wipe my bottom properly no but, but what i can do is i think i can separate out um specific useful and valiant and good things from somebody who is otherwise wretched and vice versa um that's why for example i i i, I think when you're younger you have to kind of take people as a package and the moment that something is distorted or problematic about them you have to reject them as a package now i think i'm better at saying okay well i can see what is useful and valiant and interesting and 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 i don't even see it as necessarily bald face hypocrisy i just see it as a conflicted and complex person that probably just doesn't make sense even to themselves um and i can take that for for all sorts of different people and i think oberon as well he can both be a vile character a twerp as you say but on the other hand he can he can have it right, and one can support his moral stance uh, in rejecting the utter corruption inside the Telegraph. And I don't think that one should feel awkward about um, accepting those two uh, diametric stances. So what he ale- he alleges that it, that the Telegraph, and, and indeed as does Private Eye, that <clears throat> the Telegraph has been um, refusing to report stories or give sensible coverage to stories of HSBC because they're a major advertiser in 2012. They're excellent um team of uh, you know the telegraph is the people who uncovered the mp expenses and they've just had a they they're the paper that broke the story about um uh straw and rifkin this morning mm. so they do ha- they, they they have a dwindling but excellent um i can't think of the word investigative journalist team within mm. them um and uh and so they they uncovered something about hsbc in 2012 and they ran the story hsbc pulled their advertising uh which is worth something like a million billion trillion dollars a year pounds a year probably mm. um and so since then the telegraph has apparently been trying to woo them back and refusing to cover them that's what's alleged um but what i loved most of all about obon's article extremely long article and i read the whole thing in which it's he a... talked about the arrival of um of uh, psycho Psychin, the guy who's been dismantling the concept of even <laughs> having an paper doesn't even have an editor anymore no uh, a director uh, of content or something, or something vile director <laughs> of content monday to friday yes um, <laughs> and and this has been if you read private eye and you ought it's been chronicled uh fortnightly throughout um and of course the curse of private eye the true because they have curse of the gnome which they argue is whenever anyone tries to sue them that something terrible happens to them afterward the real curse of the gnome is that bit, all important privatized stories occur the day they go to press. <laughs> yes. Um, so they never actually report on it. It's just extraordinary. I think, in fact, if you work out when the next day that they'll be sending their magazine to press is, that's when you know something extraordinary is going to happen. Yes. Um, anyway, so this will happen just before they went to press. 
uh, or just after they went to press. And so they couldn't report on any of it. But yet, despite that, they still have a big article about the state of the Telegraph in there. Um, mm. However, what I love most of all in this in Obon's piece is that right in the middle of it, he says this. And this is he's trying to give an example of the how much worse the Telegraph has become because of the mass waves of sackings and people oh, quitting yes. over time. And I shall read the paragraph. Deer hunting, yes. He says, solecisms, unthinkable until very recently, are now commonplace. Recently, readers were introduced to someone called the Duke of Wessex. <laughs> <laughs> Prince Edward is the Earl of Wessex. There was a front page story about deer hunting. It was actually about deer stalking, a completely different activity. Obviously, the management don't care about nice distinctions like this, but the readers do. And the Telegraph took great care to get these things right until very recently. Yeah, I, I, but the, but he has a point, actually. Well, he I has a point. He has, he, I'm sure he has a point that obviously the quality and care of the the paper has gone downhill because they don't have any um, staff anymore. No, but he has a point in that actually those are the things that oh, sp- would piss off <laughs> all of retired majors more than anything else in the newspaper. What does he mean, deer hunting? What on earth is this paper ever coming to? And, and that's certainly true of your, your old uh, brigadiers, but mm. they're all about to die and the Telegraph mm. desperately needs an audience that isn't made up of them. Uh, so yeah. I'm not quite sure that's really where the focus should have been. But yes, certainly the the three the women with three breasts story, which is notorious for getting them big traffic on their website, is perhaps too far the other way. What's wrong with having three breasts? Are you uh, breastophobic? I basically anyone with three breasts is a witch. Oh, okay. And yeah. be no, no, no. This was a story which they knew. It's alleged they knew was fake before they the ran Sunday Sport, the te- te- Daily Telegraph ran this story about a woman with three breasts. I think it's Oborn alleges they knew before they even went to press. They even put it on the website that it was fake, but they ran it anyway. Um, and it got lots of hits, obviously, because it was a lady with three boobies. And then another big load of hits when they went, oh, it was a fake after all. Yeah. What a surprise. It was yeah. just that lady off of um, that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I, mean, I was reading further things about what's been going on at the telegraph and how blatant has been their attempts to suck up to hsbc even on the day it was happening where they ju- uh, where the the parliamentary sketch writer was becoming embarrassed because said look yes i'm not even allowed to report on the fact that they're talking about hsbc in parliament this is becoming embarrassing and eventually of course the the, the, the private eye phoned them up and said hello um do you know there's a story breaking <laughs> that's my favorite thing that the two days after <laughs> every other paper to run the story private eye say we uh, ever helpful we phoned their news desk and tipped them off to the story and apparently a very tiny little story went online and then was removed again very quickly <laughs> just so they could have done it so it does seem to be validated also their response was extraordinary and that's actually yes. what I meant by bringing up this topic I find their response more interesting their first response was to say we love free enterprise blah 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 we won't apologise for, for, for sucking the bottom of HSBC but, mm, that's an interesting response and then the second response that they kept doing is look look the Guardian smells and, and, and the Times <laughs> look look somebody somebody killed themselves at the Times Ooh, suicide-y, suicide-y, and 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 the and the mirror, the mirror, uh, the mirror's mum went out with 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 with, uh, with 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 the bully's boyfriend in the uh, um, uh, and they just had a nervous breakdown on the editorial pages. Quite <laughs> extraordinary to see. It was. Did you, did you did you did you keep an eye on that? I didn't read. I haven't read the full editorial. I think I'm just finding it now. Uh, but mm. I did. Um, Oh no! This is just this one of all the political sins. Hypocrisy is worst, especially. We should talk about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy hmm. isn't worst in any sense. Hypocrisy means being wrong at the same time as being right. It's still got a whole big pile of right right in it. 
Yeah, but the, the problem with hypocrisy is pointing out hypocrisy with too much alacrity is actually the two cock fallacy, which means you as well. And it it's all very well to point it out, and it can be satisfying to point it out, but it doesn't actually prove the validity or the invalidity of an argument. For example, um, when Diane Abbott was massively opposed to private education, but nevertheless sent her son to private school because she said, as a black woman, she didn't want him to be with other common blacks. That's massive hypocrisy. Yes. But it doesn't mean that her opposition to private education was necessarily... um, contradicted what it might mean and here's how you can turn hypocrisy into a proper argument Uh, you say um, her action shows that there is a flaw in the opposition to private education uh, because when public education doesn't uh, suit your needs uh, you may want to revert to it for these various reasons so you you have to take it further you can't just go nah 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 you're a hypocrite you have to say um your hypocrisy reveals something about your argument. You see what I mean? And I think the, once you I, do that, then you can. I think it goes even further. I think if, say, I were to, for some reason, be in a situation where I would speak in public about food health and I would encourage mm. people to uh, avoid uh, sugary foods yeah. and encourage them to eat sensibly and say it's important for your health and the health of your children mm. and so on and so on, and then go home and just stuff my face with cream cakes. Yeah. That would be hypocritical, but it wouldn't make anything I said on stage wrong. No, it wouldn't make it wrong, but it would allow you to extend your argument. Because if you went on stage and let's say you said it's very easy to uh, give up sugary foods, you simply just have a bit of willpower and stop eating them. That's the end of the matter. Stop your nonsense. You then went home and stuffed your face with sugary foods. Mm-hmm. Um, what, where, what you could then say is your action is a case study, N equals 1, that actually uh, it isn't that easy yes, no, to that's give fair. up to give up uh, binging. So there might be something incorrect about your argument that you need to revisit. Maybe you could say, it's easy if you aren't depressed, or and I was depressed, so, okay, and I, I should I'm, have had that accepted. you see what I mean? You, I do. You, you, you need to, I think where, what it sometimes requires is that your example, your counterexample, requires an obvious refinement of your argument. I think that's I, I think I think you're right, but what I'm, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is, that example is a, is a good example where right, highlighting someone's hypocrisy is more informative. But the mm. example I gave is generally where the argument comes, is, where the argument is left, where it's someone mm. saying it, it, this, it is sensible to do X and then does Y yeah. is hypocritical, but isn't damning of X. Yeah, no, exactly. that's, what, that's what frustrates me so much. Well, that's the, that is the two cock fallacy. It's where, it's where you think that you have disproved X by observing that somebody does not X. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not, that's not, even though they claim X, that's, that, that doesn't disprove anything. Um, yes. So if somebody says, uh, you shouldn't beat up your wife, and then goes home and beats up his wife, you don't say, oh, you're a hypocrite, therefore we should all go and beat up our <laughs> beat wives. Beat up our wives, yes. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It just or indeed, that. punching a lady doesn't make a bruise appear. That would be the, the rationale. Of the mm. press, it seems, on such a yeah. thing. Um, okay, I've got this at Telegraph editorial here. It's not that long, so I shall read it out loud to myself, and, you, and, and anyone who wants to listen in can do so. Okay. This newspaper, I love the opening line. This newspaper makes no apology for the way it, in which it has covered the HSBC group and the allegations of wrongdoing by its Swiss subsidiary. That's allegations, a bit ballsy. 
<laughs> no, no, they don't. Allegations that have been so enthusiastically promoted by the BBC, the, the Guardian, Guardian, and their ideological soulmates in the Labour Party. Labour. We have covered this matter as we do all others, according to our editorial judgment, and mm. informed by our values. Foremost mm. among these values is a belief in free enterprise and free markets. But isn't that incredible? Basically, yeah. they're saying we believe that we want to make as much money as possible. Which is fair. We it's are hard of admitting it. We are proud to be the champion of British business and enterprise. In an age of cheap populism and corrosive cynicism about wealth-creating businesses, we have defended British industries, including the financial service industry, that accounts for almost a tenth of the UK economy, sustains two million jobs, and provides around one in every eight pounds the exchequer raises in tax. So what they seem to be saying is that they haven't reported on the mass corruption inherent within HSBC because it would be bad for HSBC as a business. Yes. And that's therefore bad for Britain because it might damage. So it's, it's an extraordinary position to take. It is. It is. Um, and, it... and what I find really interesting about it is that nobody has properly analysed or attacked this editorial. Even on the Today programme, uh, I think Nochti just said something. Oh, he has a point, doesn't he, when he, when he was uh, speaking to somebody about that particular paragraph and it's, it's it's very odd because no that that really is logically incoherent it's, it's extraordinary. it continues we will take no lectures about journalism from the likes of the bbc the guardian or the times i like the idea that that no no journalism has ever ever occurred from any of those three institutions <laughs> we will take no lectures these those media outlets that are this week sniping about our coverage of HSBC were similarly dismissive in 2009 when we began to reveal details of MPs' expensive cl- expenses claims, a fact that speaks volumes about their judgment and partiality. Were they dismissive? I don't. I remember. don't remember. The Guardian had some issues, didn't they, because of Nick Cohen and, and no, Nick Davies and all that stuff. Racist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. It's against Nick's. Mm. Um, our support for Britain's financial services has never blinded us to the failings of this in- of the industry. In 2012, we revealed that HSBC was at the centre of a major HM Revenue and Customs investigation after it opened offshore accounts in Jersey for criminals living in this yes, country. Was, and that is the um, uh, that is and that is why we lost all our advertising revenue, which is why we're not doing it again. We learned our lesson and then covered up loads more, or didn't not covered up, but didn't release loads more of the story, and were told to shut it down. According to Private Eye, yes. many Quite of the so. media outlets. Uh, that are today so excited about HSBC's conduct showed remarkably little interest in those revelations at the time, including the Telegraph. Mm. By contrast, they have seized with almost indecent glee on the latest allegations, even though many of those allegations are almost a decade old and in many instances have been reported and explored before. We believe we are not alone in our suspicion that those outlets have given the, this issue such prominence partly because of their deep-seated hostility to business and partly Sadly. with the intention of doing political harm to the current government and the Conservative Party in particular. Ah. But, but as we have reported extensively, Ed Miliband Blech. thank you, has missed no opportunity to use this case as a weapon against the Conservatives and their supporters, an attack that, is broad, that he has broadened to take in anyone who takes perfectly legitimate and legal measures to reduce their tax bills. Mm-hmm. So that, that, this is really interesting because The Telegraph ignored the HSBC story when everyone else was covering it on their front pages. They didn't even yeah. mention it in the paper until yeah. the Wednesday of the week. It started, this thing kicked off on Sunday. 
By yeah. Wednesday, they ran a front page story about it because they'd found that Ed Miliband had some association with a Swiss bank, HSBC bank account yeah. by desperately joining like, vague dots together. And then yeah. suddenly it was front page news. So the hypocrisy of that paragraph is, is wonderful. But you don't care about hypocrisy. I didn't say I, said, I didn't say I didn't care about it. It didn't invalidate truth. Mm. It's just but it's still fun to point it out. Mm. Um, for the avoidance of any doubt, we have no regard for the opinions of rival media organisations. That's a bit. It's a healthy a stance, isn't it? I have no regard for any criticism from anyone ever. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> None is the paragon of moral or journalistic virtue that their criticisms of this week might suggest. All have their own self-serving agendas, both political and commercial. However, we care profoundly about our readers. Mm-hmm. There is indeed a bond of trust between a newspaper such as the Daily Telegraph and its readers. We take that bond very seriously indeed. Yeah. So today we restate one of the fundamental principles that will always underpin our work. No subject, no story, no person and no organisation is off limits to our journalists. Mm, that's a lie. Apart from HSBC. Yeah. They will follow the facts without fear or favour and present the results of their work to you solely on their journalistic merits, according to their sound editorial judgment and no other consideration. So Peter O'Born was presumably just wholly lying when he said stories he'd written were being refused to be published. And everybody else, all the many other people who've reported on this. And the dozens of people who've left the paper in disgust at the current state of this this man who's come in with no editorial newspaper experience whatsoever from another country with no idea what the Telegraph was about, apparently. Xenophobic, are you? Okay, good. Oh, no, no, this is, the the point is that he has no, he has no understanding of the history of the Telegraph. That is the point, that is one point. The other point is you hate, you hate, you hate foreigners. I do hate foreigners, especially Especially, especially yeah. Americans. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, as well, you know, we've always been mm. American phobic. Yeah. Um, this that is the process that is revealed by the MPs' expenses scandal. The last story we had three years ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, the allegations Before we fired everybody. <laughs> yeah. The allegations against HSBC in Jersey and countless other stories of the greatest public interest. This is how we will continue to serve our reader. <laughs> Uh, Given the importance we attach to that bond with our reader, we are today going further. We are drawing up guidelines that will define clearly and openly how our editorial and commercial staff will cooperate in an increasingly competitive media industry, particularly in digital publishing. Oh, it's nice they're drawing up those guidelines now as a major newspaper. Oh, let's consider all ethics. But no, but they're not proclaiming ethics. They seem to just be saying we're going to draw up our guidelines of how we are allowing our commercial to intervene with our editorial. Yes, which is a bold because they say particularly mm. in digital publishing, an area where whose journalistic and commercial importance can only grow. Mm. We believe that this step makes us different from our rivals in the British media industry, or rather, even more different. <laughs> I found that a really clumsy. clumsy. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, there you go. That's the standard we can expect from the new yes. the, the new Daily Telegraph for the Daily Telegraph and its owner, Telegraph Media Group. Oh, I'm sorry. I think you mean the Barclay Brothers, the evil who live Barclay in, Brothers, no, uh, tax probably... exile in the in the in in the Isle of Sark. You call them by their proper name, the evil Barclay Brothers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I thought you were going to talk longer, and I took a drink. Huh, it all went it. wrong. No. Um, anyway, the Telegraph Media Group are significantly unlike other media organisations involved in this debate. Unlike the BBC, we receive no support from taxpayers. Well, you do. You receive a lot of support from taxpayers Since because you your don't proprietors pay any don't pay, tax. It, pay any, yes. <laughs> um, unlike The Guardian, we are not cushioned from commercial reality by a generously endowed charitable fuss trust. Well, no, it's not a charitable trust, but it is gen- generously endowed. This is true. Unlike the Times, we receive no subsidy from tabloid stablemates. Hmm. Unlike 
What about the uh, the Sark based publication that the the Barclays apparently publish oh, yes. uh, to the people of Sark, which is just is used as a sort of propaganda rag? Yeah, for the fiefdom, saying the the Barclay brothers are your are your generous and wonderful lords and masters. Now bow down to them, you vile little serfs. Um, uh, unlike the oh uh, yeah, so Tumblr, unlike all three of those, we must gen. It- it's interesting that the Barclay brothers' um, paedophilic tendencies have never come to light properly, isn't it? I, I imagine because there absolutely aren't any, and there's no two people on Earth who are quicker to sue, and therefore, please, please, I don't want to have to edit this episode. <laughs> All right. Um, can we just say unequivocally, while they are both evil aliens from outer space bent on the destruction of all mankind, they are not paedophiles. No, they, they'll kill children, but... They yes. won't stick their probes. They'll indiscriminately kill. They just don't pick on children. We need to be no. really clear about this. I have to let my cat in. She's knocking on the door. Okay, well, I'll just finish this off. Yeah, please do. Finish finish me off. <laughs> Unlike all three of those, we must generate a profit in order to remain in business. <laughs> Sorry, Finch. Right, I'm back. Anything your, happened while I was away? Your career as a ninja is in full effect. <laughs> yeah. um, you didn't even notice. So unlike all three of those, we must generate profit in order to remain in business and provide our readers with the world-class journalism they expect and deserve and this is about HSBC. Despite the, the ever-growing pressures of the media industry, we do produce that profit. And as a, as a direct result, that's journalism. We are proud to do that which our critics cannot and all will not do. <laughs> that's a beautiful little word, sentence pyramid to yeah. do that which our critics cannot will Up or which, will, which not will not do <clears throat> yeah. uh, to combine journalistic excellence with commercial success we mm. do so for you our readers mm. we will continue to do so so according to private eye the big effort the big reason they'd be firing everyone and cutting back on everything was um old Mr. Doddery Pants in charge was supposed to get some massive bonus if he could get the profits over 60 million. Yes. And he even after all his efforts, it fell short by a couple of million. And so Aww. still profitable, but only by um, firing everyone and firing all their subs and... And sucking up to all their advertisers and screwing up their journalistic integrity. They recently had to... Again, I keep saying according to Private Eye because I want them to get sued, not me. Mm. Um that they recently had to use the the staff of their fashion section to model the clothes because they can't afford models anymore. <laughs> oh, very good, yes. This is brilliant. The Daily Telegraph, despite being the Tory graph, used to be a good newspaper. I don't, sorry, I really... Sorry, my cat is here, if you hear purring. Then. That's okay, I, I allow purring. You hear it? No, don't want to either. Uh, yes, it, I don't, I mean, it certainly has a reputation... Um, but it has a reputation also of being, as you say, for General Brigadier Lieutenant the Seventh, mm. and his writing in to complain about the way that the journal, the, the news presenter's tie was offensive to yes. the Queen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, that, that, that's that's generally been their audience. However, I will say they have an excellent cryptic crossword which I do every day. That's fair enough. Now, I, talking about, talking about the Queen, is she going um, on holiday? No, on her final journey to the unknown nether regions <laughs> your religion is a weird one mm. uh, is she it? going to be placed on a viking longship set on yes. fire and pushed out to sea yes is she um i don't well i predicted her death about five years ago and i was absolutely mm. certain so i clearly am an expert in this subject i think what's important is that she live long enough that charles's reign be humiliating 
I think that's the most important thing. I think there's no fear of that. Um, well, how old is she now? 106? Yes. So, and she should live as a royal family. So how old, how old was the Queen Mummy when she died? Um, 2822. Okay, so she's still got a while left in her. Yeah. I'm just look, looking at how I'm old bit, she I'm actually bit, is. I'm a bit worried, John. Um, my cats... Uh, oh, gosh. Cats stood on the mouse pad and clicked the mouse button somewhere in Audacity, and now the waveforms are appearing slightly different. Oh, no! <laughs> It'll be amusing if... if this if it, if it suddenly goes out of um sync, I'll just blame the cat. The cat sat on the sat on the mouse mat. Yes, that's almost. how we'll teach our childrens. Mm, yeah. The queen is eighty eight years old. Too many. She'll be eighty nine in April. Will she though? Although actually, she has two birthdays a year, so that makes her actually forty four. That's true. Yeah. Well, no, it doesn't. It, 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 that forty four is not eighty eight times two. Oh, I suppose you say. <laughs> Well, I suppose it depends which part of the joke you can either. The joke can either be <laughs> see the joke can either be that um, you actually count each birthday. Uh, yes, or... count each one twice. So she's counting all her birthdays. She's had eighty-eight birthdays, which means she's only forty-four years no. old. It's a perfect joke. No, but you could say actually we should be counting each other twice, and therefore uh, <laughs> no, you know. no, no. I was right. I was right. I deserve a trophy. Uh, what what sort of trophy do you want? I want a big one made of chocolate. You probably do sugar free, um, sugar free chocolate. Though. But isn't it isn't it better to say she has two birthdays? Therefore, she's one hundred and seventy six years old. No, I think that works better. I don't think it works better at all. Let's allow the listener to judge. Listeners, podcast at rumdoings dot com or tweet at rumdoings or go to our Patreon Just Giving page Kickstarter. So, so I, so I hear that uh, Toby emanated a very small amount of heat above zero degrees Kelvin, and I shouldn't say zero degrees Kelvin. I think this is zero Kelvin, and also um, a noise came out of his mouth. So he immediately called in the flying squad and um, and uh, asked that your house be removed and flown all the way we had, to we had guys' the, hospital. We had the house medevaced. Yes, that happened, didn't it? So, and because they didn't respond faster than the speed of light, you've immediately killed every single medical practitioner in the world with a scimitar. That's right. Does that, does that, does that more or less um, summarise? But in all seriousness, I, I, I have to sit judgment now because I, yes, I couldn't okay. tell. I couldn't tell via Twitter whether you were being reasonable or whether you were being para, paranoid or old mummy and daddy hysterical. So let us hear your case. Okay, thank you. Well, I shall, uh, as my opening argument, I shall say we were being self-aware overreactive worried parents okay so we knew but that's why we didn't go to a and e right that's why we did it right uh-huh. and that's why it went wrong okay so two o'clock in the morning toby wakes up and is screaming in a way we've never heard really frightening scream uh-huh. um and so let's say he's six let's say established he's 16 weeks old um so nearly four months yeah. he's uh and so we've had quite used to his his noises that he makes and all this stuff <laughs> This horrific, terrifying screaming. We take his temperature. Yeah. And it's 78 point... 70... Oh, I've forgotten now. Suddenly, Seven, we, suddenly we use Fahrenheit. F- I know. Isn't mm. it? 50, 70, 60. Yes, indeed. I don't know why I went to Fahrenheit. It was, it was, it was higher than it should be. 37.9, that was it. Mm. I but, often, up, but often the problem with that is... Um, they're having temper tantrums can itself put up their body temperature. But I'm sure, but active. he really he wasn't having temper tantrums. He was just lying and screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, so he was 37.9 degrees. Um, I um, 
And he wouldn't stop screaming. It was quite frightening. So I did the right thing. I looked on the website, saw that that was classed as a fever. And the NHS says if your baby has a fever and it's a, a three-month-old baby, you need to respond What's to the that. threshold for fever? Uh, they were saying 37.5. Right. Okay, um, I've since been told... I've since been told by medical professionals not to worry, but 38 is where you begin worrying. Yeah, I, I remember that when we had our little hysterical moments as well. So, yeah, 30, 38 seems to be the number. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we were 0.1 degree below 38. We were in a, a reasonable, his temperature is too high, he's screaming in a really frightening way. We don't mm. know if he's okay. So I call 111, which is what you're meant to do in that circumstance. <clears throat> I speak to a genuinely awful human. Mm-hmm. Um, just, he, well, he just, no, that's not fair, but he just, he, he couldn't speak coherently racist he wasn't i believe he was of 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 of, of a birmingham region dialecty voice racist the worst kind of person yeah okay that's fair enough but it wasn't that wasn't the issue the issue was he just wasn't saying the words out loud he wasn't enunciating anything and so i couldn't understand the <coughs> questions well, what, what sort of things did you hear don't, don't do it in a parodic way but just try and emulate what he was so the, he the would effect say, you had has has your baby has your baby in west africa recently and I'd say, "What? Well, I can't hear you. Say it again." And he was, and then he would say, "Has your baby been on holiday to West Africa recently?" Or has he? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Right. I mean, I don't keep an eye on him all day long. <laughs> but yeah, I was asked more questions about Ebola than any other particular subject. Well, fair enough. Um, about my three-month-old, uh, it went on for a very long time, and I had to ask him to say everything twice because he just wouldn't enunciate. So I couldn't, and I, I wasn't being picky. It was just impossible to discern what Speak the up, were. man. Speak up, diction, please. Exactly. <laughs> that's a diction, young man. Um, you probably don't even know the difference between deer stalking and deer hunting. <laughs> Prince of Wessex. So he, uh, so he was particularly unhelpful, but he was just doing his job. He was reading questions off a screen. The problem was he just couldn't speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to the end of this and he said that they would have a doctor call me back. He mumbled something about within an hour. So an hour later, we call back, nothing's happened, and I speak to the rudest woman, just fright, bizarrely rude woman. And I, you know, we're just, I'm just tired and frightened at this point, and, I, and I'm saying, look... By this stage, I assume Toby had calmed down. He had, he had just started feeding, and therefore was kind of screaming, feeding, screaming, feeding, and beginning to calm down. Mm. But we took his temperature again, and it was still over... It was 17... Oh, so I keep saying 70. 37.6 now. So it's mm. come down 0.3 degrees, but still above what it should be. Still not happy. This lady said, I said, look, we were told someone would call us back. And she said, oh, it's very, it's very busy at the moment. It's got lots of people to call back. I said, but surely you have some sort of triage for when it's a three month old. Well, maybe they do have triage. How do you know that maybe there were other three month olds she that were vomiting blood? It became apparent. You feel this, guilty then. It became apparent this lady didn't know what the word triage meant. Hmm. Which frightens me because NHS That's, Direct... You're being, you're, being, you're being ableist. NHS Direct, there was a triage process. They were trained in triage. The people who answered the phone had specific training in triage. Yeah, but these people are just call answerers. They're but now, now it's been privatised. These people don't have, clearly have any training at all. And that, that scared me. And this lady did, so I couldn't communicate. And so she called the out-of-hours people. And, then, and she, rather than explaining that she was doing it, she just put me on hold. And then she went... You're speaking to the out of hours now. And I said, I'm sorry. Went, You're speaking to the out of hours now. Oh, that's good. So I said, hello. And then another lady spoke. And, she said, and I said, oh, hello. Um, and explained. She said, yes, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Things are really busy tonight. We're having a really bad night. And someone Fair should enough. be back with you within two hours. I was like, okay. okay. Two hours went by. Still no call back. It's now, you know, half four in the morning. We're both 
Assume Beyond he was sleeping, exhausted. Sleeping Toby is there. now. Toby is now asleep. Yes. Oh, that's fine. So everything's all right. So, so but we're now in this ridiculous. We're now in this ridiculous situation where he seems fine, but we're waiting for a phone call to come back in, mm-hmm. and we're in this incredibly daft situation where my phone has the external speakers to stop working, so I can't look away from it. For God's sake, John! I, I know it's brilliant. <laughs> um. So Laura then phones back and says... Can Why you... didn't you give them your landline, you idiot? Well, it's because it was 2.30 in the morning and the baby was screaming in a way that was making me ho- uh, have a hard time holding it together. So anyway, Laura calls back after the two hours, gives them the landline to call instead, and then we Good. both go back to bed. Glad there's somebody sensible in that house. <laughs> we both go back to bed. Mm. We get woken up at about seven by the phone call. Hooray. Uh, no, maybe nearly eight. Five and a half hours after we called 111, we get called back by... Uh, someone to arrange an appointment to be seen by a GP. Mm-hmm. Uh, that appointment was for 10 past 11 at the hospital because that's where the out of hours GP is. But that's fair enough. I mean, effectively, it sounds yeah. like they were waiting for it to see what would happen the next morning. That's, that's not okay with a three-month-old baby. You don't but wait I think it and is. see. No. no. I, think, I think it is because what they what, what's tacit of that is if you notice something going wrong, you would have just taken him We would have just taken him to hospital. It's possible. I, but I think isn't that, that Isn't that how it's supposed to kind of work? I think Seriously. That, I think if there... If it weren't one one one, if it were people with training, I would have thought maybe that's possible. But no, this this thing, whole thing was so so screwed up. Mm. So we, our appointment was, of course, two hours. That so we were sat in hospital waiting for two hours for the GP appointment, and by which point his temperature's back to normal. He's happy and healthy. The mm. doctor does the full MOT. Everything's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was the process. So sorry, it's a very long winded. But the point is, we knew we were overreacting. Yeah. So we didn't take him to hospital. We know all of our friends, every single friend of ours with a young yeah. baby, tells us about the time they went to hospital with a baby because it had hiccups. Yeah, and I we think were that's determined unfair. not. That's, uh, yeah, exactly, and that's unfair on the national health service. We were determined not to be those people. Good. And so we went down the proper process, and the proper process was a disaster. And what we've learned is, next time, take him to A and E. And that's no, horrible. No, no that's no, what we've learned. No, I don't think so. I think what you've learned is one 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 is pretty useless so what, yes. uh, but that's what you do anyway so what you do is you you become more you become more you become sensible yourself and you say well look in the next hour is the temperature dropping or is it going up is he settling is he feeding yeah, if he's sure. not and then you go in and then you go into a and e if that doesn't approve because that's basically and if they did if somebody had been medically qualified at the other end of the phone and had said that he said hmm yes that's not that's not too high and yeah they do have these little terror panics yep. sometimes um yep. uh, i know it's going to be hard but just wait and see what happens over the next couple of hours if he does settle down and if his temperature doesn't go up and he's feeding and he's sleeping normally then let, let's wait till tomorrow morning and just have a gp checkup in the morning you would have been okay with that and that's precisely what nhs direct would have done yes and it really, and the, the reason they privatised it was because it wasn't making a profit. No, that's kind of weird. Mm, well, it wasn't making a profit, was it? It was a no. loss-making organisation. <laughs> that's kind of what it's for, and why we pay tax, right? So it can make a loss. It kept needing money, John. I know. And so we talk about this to the GP we saw, and he was, you know, obviously as a GP, just equally devastated by the loss of it because of the burden it puts on him having to deal with the failure of one one one. And it's obviously, it's the local authorities are running it, but it's different corporations who bought it. It was given to the lowest bidders. Yes. It genuinely it was a so bidding well. process where the lowest bidder got the gig. That always works very well. Yep. And they're all now trying to sell it because they're all making losses on running it, obviously, because how could you, how could you make a profit on it? And yes, but you know so what's going to happen, don't you? It's inevitable. The same thing will happen that happened with National Rail. Remember, 
the railway line infrastructure was sold at, to a profit-making company called Railtrack. They mm -hmm. couldn't make a profit, so it was effectively renationalized, although it's at an arm's length through a kind of non-profit company thing. And so, so I hope that I hope that's I hope that is what happens because well, maybe it has to happen because no company wants to run it. So yeah. what else can happen? So it's just a bit sad, really. And of course, it's just bad luck that this happens at two thirty in the, in the morning on a Sunday. So it was the you know, mm -hmm. had it been the next night. We could have just made. We could have just gone into our GP at eight o'clock in the morning and and yeah. and been seen at eight by eight thirty most likely, not by two o'clock in the you, afternoon. Didn't you? There was a, wasn't there a coup de grace? Didn't you say that they they phoned you while you were in the GP? Oh you yeah, your it, GP's appointment? Just, just to put a little dollop of uh, of cream and a cherry on top. Mm -hmm. um, as we were leaving the appointment, my phone rang. I threw it to voicemail because I stood inside A and E, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, when I listened to the voicemail <clears throat> just afterward, it was someone from 111 calling up to say, we're trying to call you in for your appointment, but you're not there. Do you need to make a later appointment? Please call us back on 111 as we came right. out of our appointment. So I called them back and they had no idea what was going on. No clue about this call coming to me. Right. It was apparently no, no no cohesion whatsoever. And they never heard from that again. So No, that's all right. It's working well then. It's all absolutely brilliant. Here's the best thing about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Came out, came out of our appointment. So there's a little there's a the pediatrics unit just off of A and E, and that's where we were waiting for our appointment. Mm -hmm. um, even though we weren't going into peds, we were going into the GP. But it's all very confusing. We come out, walk back through A and E at the RUH, mm -hmm. and there's a cat just sat in the waiting room. Oh, what was it doing there? <laughs> just sat there. Really? Not in the case. Not on yeah. a lead. Just maybe sat there. The, like maybe it's one of the doctors. To be fair, <laughs> I've got I've got a photo of it. I need to um, blur out everyone's faces because I I would have tweeted it, but I thought it was a bit shit to photograph. Oh, now you're going to bleep that. No, it was, it was appropriate. Uh, uh, but you can't really photograph people in A and E and then tweet their faces. That doesn't seem appropriate. I would do everybody's faces. Um, except, so I'm going to I blur out the cat's face because the cat blur can't out give the consent. Cat. <laughs> That's right. Mm. So yeah, just sat this cat sat in A and E. It's <laughs> amazing. Okay. It's my new favourite thing. Did anybody comment? There was it was just people, you know, people sat around. The people who were sat there were the same people who were sat there when we got there. So they were in a worse circumstance. They were waiting for an appointment they didn't know if they were going to get. Um, and so they're all just dead, sat in their seats. And there's just this cat on the floor. And I saw it walk under one of the seats and an old lady reached down to stroke its neck as we were leaving. Well, now you've completely um, cut out on my end. I assume that I've cut out for you as well. What? Um, so I'll just. Oh no! It's all our signal has dropped. Goodbye. Goodbye.